The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. You're listening to episode 84 of The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. I'm Dom Bettinelli. This is a special episode where Jimmy Aiken, Father Corey Stika, and I discuss the second season of the six short streaming episodes called Short Treks. These episodes aired on CBS All Access starting in October 2019 and wrapping up the second week of January 2020. As a special bonus for our patrons who provide financial support to the Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows we do at StarQuest, we made these discussions available exclusively to them right after those short treks aired. But now we've bundled them up into one episode and are making them available to you, the rest of our audience, now. If you'd like to support The Secrets of Star Trek and get access to cool exclusive bonus content like this, please visit sqpn.com give. Now please enjoy the show. This first short trek called Q&A uh, is 13 minutes and 42 seconds long, so about a quarter of a regular episode. Um, mm-hmm. And it features about a third, actually, when you take out commercials. Although, yeah. do the, the, the how, how well? Well, I guess it varies these days because the episodes have variable length since they're on all access. Right, right. That's what I was thinking. So, um, so it could, yeah. So it's it's thirteen minutes and forty two. Uh, it features Spock's first day on the Enterprise. He's beaming aboard for the very first time um, from somewhere. From somewhere in a very strange looking uh, transporter room. It was. Looked like a corridor. It was very, it was a kind yeah. of an odd looking transporter room. Um, we so it features Ethan Peck playing start uh, Spock again, and uh, Rebecca Romaine uh, returning to the role as number one. Uh, this is mm-hmm. Captain Pike's Enterprise. This is predates um, pretty much everything we've seen so far. This takes place yeah. before yeah. the first season of Discovery and everything. So uh, her name is Lieutenant Commander Una. Uh, she's the first officer. Mm-hmm. Una. She is number one. You know. Uh, yeah, yeah exactly. they don't. They're still being coy about is that her real name? They had had Captain Pike refer to her as Una in uh, the season finale of season two of Discovery, but it didn't end up in the uh, closed captioning. And so, uh, one of the producers actually later confirmed, yes, he did refer to her as Una, which is a name that she's been given in some of the spinoff literature, although mm-hmm. the spinoff literature is inconsistent about what number one's name is. And there's even a, um, there's even a, a debate about, is that her name or is it just another nickname? Is it based on the fact she's called number one? Right now um, to, mm-hmm. to kind of put a spin on that though, um, the, the next scene as he, you know, Spock steps on the transporter pad, the next scene, it shows her reading, you know, drafting a memo on this on this ipad i mean this this pad (laughs) Uh and uh it lists her name as lieutenant commander una 
Yeah. Oh, first officer helmsman. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and they actually show the the pad, show the the text she's reciting. So, so it, I mean, it, it sort of on the paperwork anyway. It seems to be that's her, that's her name. Uh, we don't know whether she's yep. human or not. I kind of get the sense that she's not like uh, from Earth. That there's mm-hmm. enough right. interesting about her that there's something else. Uh, and I, I wonder with the the rumored uh, and wanted, I, I I can definitely say wanted Pike Enterprise series future series. Yeah. That might be something they'll explore. Yes. Yeah. So I, I I like when Spock beams in. It's he's like, Ensign Spock reporting for duty, yes. and she's no need to shout, Mister Spock. Yeah. And well, that it, that calls back to Leonard Nimoy's right. early performances yep. as Spock. That was awesome. You got, got the cadence down perfectly on that too. Just very much the Nimoy cadence. Yeah, I really I was really pleased that they did that, and it was a really good callback. I was like, no need to shout, Ensign Spock. Uh, she demands that he, as they're walking away from the transport room, she de- she notices he hasn't asked any questions yet, and she demands that he ask her and everyone else he meets as many questions as he can, which, you know, as the Spock- as, <laughs> as a science officer. Right. Yep. Uh, so they get on board the turbo lift, and uh, as it's, I have to say, why is there so much empty space, interior space of the Enterprise? Uh- yeah, this is inconsistent with the plans that I ordered back in the 1970s. <laughs> There's no way the Enterprise has that much empty space inside the, of it. That's it, before the remodel. The Franz yeah, Joseph. The, uh, the, the minor refit. Yeah, technical manual that I had as a kid. Yeah. But it just doesn't make any but, sense. Like, why, it's not a it's it's not a blimp. It doesn't need all this empty space in it. Like, like it's just a waste. Yeah. Make the ship smaller then. Um, anyway. For whatever reason, they, they like this design of the turbo shafts basically being roller coasters within the ship. Yeah. Yes. And I don't know why like they, they're they so like. enamored by that design of the turbo shafts. Right. Right. Uh, it, we could kind of excuse it on Discovery because we didn't have a frame of reference for what Discovery is supposed to be like on the inside, but it just doesn't seem to fit on the Enterprise. Right. This is <laughs> giant open yeah. space. I I do like. I want to comment on uh, when number one tells Spock to ask questions to the point of becoming annoying. Um. She says, you know, we're going to reach the turbo lift in 30 seconds or whatever. Go. And his first question is a reasonable one. What is your name, sir? Right. <laughs> and she dodges it. Yeah. You can call me number one. Um, it, it, and on board, when the turbo lift stops, um, there's this awkward silence or you think it's it could be awkward or should be awkward. But they go. People don't talk in elevators. <laughs> and of course, yeah, I have observed that. Yeah. Of course, the rest of the episode is constant talking. So it's kind of funny. Um, yeah. What is remarkable what? to me is how Spock is able to come up with good questions at the drop of a hat, and number one is able to come up with relevant answers at the same drop of a hat. So that's mm-hmm. so that's a fun bit of this. One of the things they they're doing in this episode is playing on the similarity of these two characters mm-hmm. because originally in the original pilot for Star Trek, number one was the intellectual emotionless character and Spock was just an alien. Right. And eventually mm-hmm. when Majel Barrett's character didn't end up in the regular show, they transferred the intellectual aloofness to Spock. And so we ended up with a situation where number one and Spock are actually very similar characters and they're playing on that in this short trek. There's one moment where both of them at the same moment say Spock's tagline. Fascinating. <laughs> right. Mm. Right. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. And well, I mean, kind of move on to some of the to some of the questions. One of the things he asks are is 
what are the three most salient facts about Captain Pike? Another excellent question, given that he's just newly, he's an ensign, fresh out of the academy, newly assigned to the ship. Knowing what's, you know, and, and a bridge officer, knowing the captain, you know, the important information about the captain would be helpful. Mm-hmm. So what does she say? One, his capacity for hearing out another point of view is only exceeded by his willingness to change his own. Two, even though he is the most heavily decorated fighting captain in Starfleet, he views resorting to force as an admission of failure. Three, he is utterly unsentimental except when it comes to horses. And which Spock says he's sentimental when it comes to large terrestrial herbivorous animals. <laughs> yeah, and that last one didn't. I mean, it it plays on the fact that he does have a soft spot for horses, as we saw in the original Star Trek pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't find the claim that he's utterly unsentimental to be reflective of Captain Pike, especially mm-hmm. not as he's played by the current actor, right? Or even the original actor. I mean, in, in that. In that the cage, he was totally riven by his emotions about being broken up by the the, the losses they'd suffered in a in a recent mission. You know, I mean, he's yeah, he was ready to quit. Right. So I I, I, th- I found that strange too. But it does sound like, in some ways, she it sounds like she's describing Picard as well. That sort of seems is a lot like Picard. He's you know mm. he, hearing out other points <laughs> of view down to the horses. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Other points of view, heavily decorated, but doesn't really like to fight, that sort of thing. So I thought that was interesting. One thing they do to show how similar these characters are is they start finishing each other's sentences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's another question that he asks, which is like, does the ship use this type of glucose replicator or this type of glucose replicator operating system? And she says, actually, we use the Una operating system that combines the best elements of both. And he says, your name is Una. And she says, that is not a question. (laughs) Well, she says she says it's the Una Matrix. Yes. And I wonder if that's both. It was both the reference to her name in Unimatrix Zero from the board. Uh, I was yeah. waiting for an Una Paloma Blanca reference, but it never came. So I'm disappointed. <laughs> I, I I also really like how Spock directly challenges the prime directive. Right. And accuses yeah. it of being impractical and immoral. <laughs> yeah, it's unethical. Not, not ethical, illogical, and morally in, indefensible. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. She goes, for your sanity, just stop that line of reasoning right now. Right. She says for his yep. sanity, because she, apparently she probably agrees to some degree to some point. But uh, but like just it's best not to deal to, to worry about that. Just don't go there. He also yeah. he also asks if she thinks the universe is a giant simulation, which is uh yeah also another Jimmy Akin's mysterious world <laughs> topic. Yeah, that we brought up. And I like Spock as here he's willing to entertain design arguments for the universe. Yep. Uh, and finally, Spock's questions get heavy even for her. Like the philosophy ones are just like oh like oh, okay that's enough of that and. Uh, they they contact the engineer up John who so he backs off to do you like eggplant yes that's that's the question do you like eggplant <laughs> so uh, the engineer that that's trying to fix the the the, the lift, her name is up John and apparently she has a Scottish accent because all the best mm-hmm. Starfleet engineers are Scottish that's just a fact apparently so um, n- number one asked Spock a question she asked whether he was smiling when he beamed aboard she thought he was smiling and she advises him which is interesting. That if he aspires to command, he needs to keep his freaky to himself. What does she mean by his freaky? Well, is she her, his her point is that 
most people are not used to Vulcans displaying emotions, and it mm-hmm. will be disorienting to them if they see someone who is is a Vulcan display it appears to be Vulcan displaying right. emotions. And so, if he wants to move up in the chain of command, he needs to keep that to himself. Uh, so that he doesn't disturb people and get a rep for being the crazy Vulcan. Well, she, she doesn't she act even, normal. She even mentioned that she found it a little bit disturbing when she first saw it. Yeah, yeah. And then, and she, she, he he says, as he as he claimed in the original series, I have no desire to command. And she calls him out on that using a word that begins with B. Um, and and you know, I thought about that. It's actually kind of fair because he does end up as a captain. He's yeah. captain of the Enterprise after Kirk is. And first officer is uh, a command. training vessel. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and she, the reason she cites for knowing that he actually wants command is he spent two years at the academy under a brutal professor taking quantum stochastic combat modeling, which she says nobody would do if they're not wanting to command. Right. And now quantum stochastic calculus is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently by the 23rd century, they've uh, they've incorporated it into combat modeling. Uh, quantum, yeah. you know, refers typically to a quantum is a discrete unit of something. And it's often applied in physics to the smallest mm-hmm. units of matter and energy. Uh, stochastic means random right. and things that are randomly selected. So this is apparently some kind of quantum random combat modeling well, for the type of combat they have in the 23rd century. It it connects back to the memo that number one um, was writing as Spock beamed over. They actually showed it. So I, it being, mm-hmm. you know, of course, Star Trek geek, I took a picture of it with my phone. Basic model, the effective use of the quant- of photon torpedoes is applied to the quantum stochastic ma- models of solvable analysts Analysis, she obviously could say it better than I can, requires an in-depth analysis of the accuracy of Starfleet's most advanced torpedoes, tactical weapons, gathering intelligence into the effectiveness of both offensive and defensive firepower is essential to Starfleet survival, highlighting the urgent need for the kind of quantum stochastic models of Salvo analysis. And then that's when he beams over. Oh, interesting. Okay. And, so. But in any event, she tells him, if you want a command, you're going to have to keep your freaky to yourself. And yep. he says, in essence, I've been doing that all my She says, even if it's hard. Yeah. And he and and he says, I've been doing that all my life. And yes, it is. And she says, I know. And indicates she's hiding her freaky, too. Right. Which leads to which he then says prompts a logical next question, which he doesn't voice. Right. Right. But the obvious question is, what is your freaky that you've been hiding? And she shows him and she begins singing. I am the very model of a modern major general. I'm information, vegetable, animal and mineral. I know the kings of England and I quote the fights historical from Marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. I am very well acquainted too with matters mathematical. I understand equations, both the simple and quadratical about binomial theorem. I'm teeming with a lot of news with many truthful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. I'm very good at integral and differential calculus. I know the scientific names of beings and immaculus in short in matters, vegetable, animal and mineral. I am the very model of a modern major general. And... <laughs> <laughs> to to prove my Gilbert and Stult Sullivan street cred, I'll go farther than she did. 
I know our mythic history, King Arthur's answer caradox. I answer hard acrostics, I have a pretty taste for paradox. I quote in elegiacs all the crimes of Heliogabalus. In conics, I can floor peculiarities parabolus. I can tell undoubted Raphael's from Gerald Dowson's Ophanes. I know the croaking chorus from the frogs of Aristophanes. Then I can, then I can hum a fugue of which I've heard the music's den of four and whistle all the ears from that infernal nonsense penafore. Then I can write a washing bill in Babylonic uniform and give you every detail of Caractacus's uniform. In short, in matters vegetable, animal, and mineral, I am the very model of a modern major general. Very good. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> Folks, this is all the, the content that you can only get if you're a patron. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by, by, by the way, so, that, that particular choice from the Pirates of Penzance should sound familiar to Star Trek fans because... Uh, Picard. The, uh, Dr. Crusher was trying to get LaForge to oh, sing right. it. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. It's LaForge. Before the disaster hit the Enterprise. <laughs> it was the episode Disaster, TNG episode yeah. Disaster. That's right. That's In- right. Incidentally, I had, back when um, Enterprise was on the air, Star Trek Enterprise, I always wanted them to begin, and after they established that the Enterprise crew was putting on dramatics and so forth, I wanted them to have an episode that began with T'Pol in <laughs> a major general's uniform doing that song. Um, and that actually would be like a fusion of Spock and number one. It would. That would. <laughs> That's right. And uh, so I thought that was unusually suitable. And Spock and number one bond over this. Needless to say, as a Gilbert and Sullivan fan, I was delighted yes. by this. <laughs> and um, And they bond over it. Spock even... Joins kind in of clumsily at first, yeah. but then with improving skill, joins in and they both laugh yeah. at the end. And it's a great bonding moment well, for the two of them with their freakiness that they're well, hiding. Well, I love that, though, because there was about a 30 second pause and it was a lengthy pause. I mean, for television yeah. where it got really awkward you could see it. Number one's face like, oh, did I just overstep my bounds big time here? <laughs> She and then all of a sudden he starts beats. smiling and singing along and he's got this big old grin by the time they're done and they're just laughing. Right. Yeah. But then she gets uh, uncomfortable, right? What? what so something prompts well, her to so want to get out all hap- of a sudden. Yeah. What happens is so they've they've been trying to repair the, sh- the, the thing. They've been on the intercom to engineering and they've been poking around in the uh, controls and the equipment at the top of the capsule of the elevator yep. and it shorted out and there was a shower of really cool looking blue sparks that are blue for some reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and then engineering said they were sending down uh, an engineer down the shaft with repelling equipment, right? Uh, someone who's an expert repeller and, sh- and she ends up on the top of the capsule just as they're having their bonding moment. And, Number one does not want anybody else to know what right. she's just shared with Spock, right, right. and so she she orders him to forget what just happened and says she wants a hole in her memory and mm. demands that he swear that he will never bring this up again, which he then does right <laughs> swear he does swear yeah. so they uh eventually make their way to the bridge where the where Pike asks Spock if Vulcans ever feel awe. Uh, which she says they're looking at a cool nebula. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, he says they do, but they tend to keep it to themselves and then gives a knowing look to number one. Um, and then that's where the episode ends. Uh, although we do have a, a, a dedication at the end to uh, the memory of Dr. Robert Shaben. Um, this episode, like I said, was written by Michael Shaben, uh, who's running the new Picard series uh, and who also wrote the short track Calypso, by the way. 
Um, mm, and Robert, right. Dr. Robert Shaben is Michael's father who died last March. So mm. nice dedication. Very good. So yeah. anything left to say about this uh, short track, um, Father? One, just one small thing. When uh, Spock reported in, he gave his serial number as S179276SP, and that's right out of the original series episode, Court Martial. Very nice. I liked the, I, I really enjoyed this episode because it showed us how these two very similar characters could relate mm-hmm. and the type of dynamic they could have together um, on a future Pike Enterprise show. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that would be a question, given how Spock's character changed to become more number one like, how would this relationship work if we ever got a Pike series? And I think they established one very nicely. I think uh, Spock admires number one by the end of this episode. He admires her efficiency and intelligence and and the fact she's got a hidden side, too. I even think they created a situation where there could be some girlfriend boyfriend potential hmm. between the two of them. Um, and you know, with the J.J. The Abrams movies, we've seen Spock as someone who's capable of forming mm-hmm. romantic relationships with humans. I think number one would be a good candidate for that. At a minimum, the two of them ha- we have here the basis of a unique and very strong friendship. Interesting. Right? Yeah, I like the fact that it shows Spock normal. Like throughout most of the second scene of the season of Discovery, Spock is uh having. Person, you know, mental issues. health issues and other th- <laughs> problems. This is Spock at normal, just base level Spock, and I, I do like seeing yeah. that. I, you know, one, I just uh, one thing I, I did forget to mention. Um, kind of on more the whole level, I like these ideas of the short treks. I like these ideas of these short standalone episodes. You know, they're just short stories. They're real simple. And I want to say that of the five we've seen so far, counting the the first set of four, this is probably my favorite. That we've this had is actually so the sixth now. Uh, we had the Escape Artist, which came out in January after the other four separately. That was the one with uh, Mud, Harry Mud. I, I thought there were four. That was, that was, was the a, original four. That was, that was the last of the fourth of the okay. four. Oh, sorry. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted your point. No, that, that's fine. That was So, yeah, there was, there was the four before uh, season two Discovery, and then now this is the first of the set of six. Mm-hmm. And this is the one I, I like the best so far, although the mud one was was fantastic. And, of course, Calypso was great as well. But yeah. This is my favorite so far because we still have five more to see, so we don't know what's coming yet. Yeah, I think this one, the, the, the it's the it's the best interpersonal uh, dialogue, the best connection between two characters uh, here. Yeah. I really enjoyed this more than any of the others. This, this repartee between these two is well-written. I mean, obviously, Michael Shaben is a really great uh, writer, so uh, it, it really shows in this one. So I really do appreciate that. I, I, I have basically the same three favorites as you guys. I liked uh, Calypso. I really liked the Harry Mud one. In terms of pure enjoyment, it would be a toss up for me between the Harry Mud one and this one. But I yeah. really like this one. I love getting to see Spock and number one, uh, you know, interrelating. Yeah. I mean, it brings us one of the most favorite characters of all of Star Trek, you know, Spock. And mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, what's not to like about that? And and it helps contextualize his character arc in the original series because in the pilot we see him being more emotional and then he becomes less emotional as we go along and we got to see him being more kind of in a midpoint in season two of discovery so his evolution from someone who's more emotional to less emotional to then finding a balance by the time of the movies is this helps contextualize that as well 
Excellent. So uh, we should probably wrap it up there before this becomes a regular episode of <laughs> Star Trek. So uh, we, we also, unfortunately, we don't have Father Corey with us today. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he did record some thoughts, and we'll play those for you at the end of our discussion uh, so that you, uh, he'll be able to, to join in with uh, what he thought about this episode. So so just like this, uh, this episode of Short Tracks had a post-credit scene, we're going to have a Father Corey post-credit scene? <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, I do have some thoughts on, on the existence of a post-credit scene. Hopefully everyone uh, stuck around and to watch it. Uh, I saw that it was a suspiciously long amount of time as the credits rolled. So yeah. I, I, I did stick around for that. Um, so what we have is uh, basically it's 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 another ep- short track which takes place not in or around Discovery, but in or around Pike's Enterprise, which yeah, is interesting. I think that short tracks is now being conceptualized not as add-ons for Discovery, but as its own thing. Yes, that um, it can go you know anywhere in the Star Trek universe, and they're tying it in to other series. So we know a couple of the short treks are going to be tied into the animated series that are coming out. And we've had two that are connected with Pike. And I think the other two may be as well, rather than Discovery. I don't know. But I think they're using the Pike-related short treks as a surrogate placeholder until they can get a Pike series going, because they know that's what the fans really want. And given how the the last season of Discovery ended, where... Discovery is presumably in the future. We've got this cliffhanger, which we can't really reveal anything about. So if you had Discovery related short tracks, you'd have to do it in the past, which I know they did with one of them with uh, telling the backstory of Saru. But uh, you've kind of got to balance that. You know, we'll we'll see how that if they if they do anything like that with the other short tracks. But at least these are Pike related, Um, although this one only tangentially Pike related. We only get Pike right at the very beginning here. So this one, The Trouble with Edward, is a prequel to the original series episode, The Trouble with Tribbles. Yes, it is an origin and, story of Tribbles. Right. Yep. And it's a comedy. Yes. Which our last one kind of was, too. Not not full-on comedy. This is full-on comedy. Yes. And I thought to myself, you know, some fans may not like that, given how comedic it is. But actually, Star Trek has done a lot of comedy. Yep. Um, I mean, the original Trouble with Tribbles episode was a comedy. It was played for less. Yeah. Yeah. And there have there have been lots of comedy episodes in the history of Star Trek um, in multiple different series. We have things like uh, in the original series, a piece of the action. Yes. With the gangsters. That was comedy. I mud. Definitely. With Any, the androids. Every time I showed up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but especially, I especially Mud. I Mud. Yes. Um, in the uh, in the next generation, we had a variety of comedy episodes, including including ones with uh, Laksana Troy and uh, Q. Yep. Um, we had a fistful of datas. Right. Right. You know, on the holodeck in Deep Space Nine, we had House of Quark, Ooh. where he, the one with Grilka, where yep. Quark has to become a sort of kind of Klingon. Um, but also in Lace, where Quark gets get becomes a woman. Yep. Um, lots of and Trials and Tribulations. Trials and Tribulations, I was going to say, is another one. But, yeah. you know, you know what this episode reminded me a lot of in its feel is the Orville. 
it uh-huh. felt a lot like an Orville episode where you just have these comedic elements really coming in. And the Orville, uh, if you've been watching that, over time has becoming more serious. It started as right. a parody series, becoming more serious. And this is Star Trek becoming a little less serious, which is kind of an interesting meeting in the middle. But I thought mm-hmm. I, I do like that. What we have here is essentially the story of an incompetent member of Starfleet. Like n- not everyone yeah. in Starfleet is the best at everything because, you right. know, that can't be true. This um, guy is Reginald Barkley, only less so in, in a, in a, in a um, more sinister way, in a sense, uh, yeah. the results. It. So. Uh, well, let's talk about the about this. They're they're orbiting this planet on the edge of civil on Klingon space. The civilization is on the brink of starvation, and so Captain Lynn Lucero is the new captain. She was the science officer on Enterprise and was just promoted to be the captain of this other ship, the Cabot. And uh, they're over this planet, Pregene sixty three, which apparently there's sixty four other sixty two other sixty two other planets in this solar system. <laughs> yes, which actually is realistic if yeah, you think it about happen. it. I mean, if you use the what should be the definition, everybody's definition of a planet, an object large enough to be round but not large enough to glow. Um, <laughs> then we have something like fifty planets in our solar system. Right. So that's just fine. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Captain L- Lynn Lucero's job is to help the people of Prey Gene 63 without the Klingons finding out. That's sort of like she's got this, uh, this little science vessel that she's got to to um, manage. So as she's leaving the Enterprise, Pike is gives her the joking advice that uh, don't show any weakness or they'll eat you alive. It turns out to be good advice, actually, <laughs> related to this. Because, <laughs> Except he means it as a joke. Yes, he, he does not mean literally, but where in literally it happens. Uh, he then cautions her that she's got, she got the job because she's a brilliant scientist, but she's going to find that not everyone's on her level, which is exactly what happens here. Yes. It's a disaster effect. So her first briefing on board the, uh, her ship, we are introduced to Edward Larkin, an mm-hmm. insecure incompetent but brilliant drone scientist like he's sort of a bureaucratic drone not very good at what he does who sabotages others because of his own insecurities yet shows flashes of brilliance and and won't admit defeat he never admits and, that he's wrong and he's socially very awkward yes yes he's very awkward um i like this briefing scene where they're it's like a monday morning thing in an office where they're all talking about what their departments are doing and i like that everybody except the captain is a blue shirt right they're all because it's a science research vessel and um and i like also we have a, a trill yep who's there and um and this is the first black trill that i can recall seeing right and the um, earliest but that trill, was, uh, given its Pike's Enterprise. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I, I like the I like the crew. There's a uh, in, in Edward Larkin. When she asks, "What's your department doing?" He says, "Oh, I I, I don't have a department. It's just me." <laughs> right. Like that's 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 what she means. Just go with yeah. it. Dude. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um. And he he's uh, he can't manage the the pad that he's trying to work, and he's like, "It's broken." Uh. You know. And the, the the woman next to him was like, no, no. Just, oh, well, she fixed it. Thank you for fixing that. It Thank was broken. You for, it was, yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> was trying to cover for yeah. not knowing how to use his device. So he is, he's a protein uh, specialist, a biologist, and his solution for the 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 problem here is he introduced him to is this life form from Iota Geminorm 4. So this is the home world of the trill, Tribble. Tribbles. Uh, their, their Latin name is Triblusis ventricosis. 
Um, does that mean anything? Is it mean ventric, like ventricosis? Uh, uh, yeah, it it's uh, based on the Latin word for womb. <laughs> so triples that are born pregnant, which we'll get to in yeah. a second. So uh, they're all like, as soon as they see the triple, they, everyone around the table goes, oh, how cute. And then yeah. he says, uh, it, it, but yeah, you take all that fur off and it's just pure meat, like a little skull. It's a red scallop. Blood red. <laughs> Blood red, yeah. which is just so <laughs> gross. But they're all horrified by yeah. this. And I'm like, why? Because it's cute? You know, yeah. Dude, because by then people don't eat real meat. Maybe people of the future don't well, eat real meat. By then people won't normally eat real meat. They'll be eating yeah. lab grown stuff. But, in all likelihood, yes. but um, they're horrified, I think, just because it's cute and because it serves the plot. And so yeah. they get to say, are you suggesting we eat them? It's like, well, I don't want to eat them, but I was thinking they could be a food source for the Collations, <laughs> yeah. except they breed really slowly. Yes. But and everyone can, watching I, it, hearing that, like goes, breed really slowly. That's a key yeah. point. But I, I could fix that. I could change their DNA and make them breed a lot faster. And, <laughs> yeah, and, yes, again. And, and, and I have eaten a couple, you know, for research purposes. And I, and I gave one to this guy here, and he liked it. He's a foodie. And the <laughs> guy who's supposed to be a foodie looks at the captain and get, does this little quick head shake. Like, I didn't like it. Looking her in the eyes. <laughs> I, I didn't like it. But, but his idea actually has, it seems sound in principle. Find this food yeah. source. And it's right. kind of slow moving. And you can, and, it's and pure so meat. The captain, the captain says, "Are they intelligent?" And he's like, uh, "It's kind of hard to say. They don't have a face, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they're really slow moving, and so they'd be easy to hunt." And he totally misses the point of what she's saying. Yeah, yeah. And even if they were intelligent, I I feel like it would be very easy to capture and then eat them. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> like no, uh, like he, she's asking the more. Moral question here. <laughs> right. Oh, well, I could alter their DNA to make them all brain damaged. That would solve that. <laughs> so, I mean, this this whole th scene is like a slow motion train wreck. You see everything coming from a mile away. You know how this is going to end. But it's the anticipation of how it all gets there, watching it happen in real time, uh, so to speak, that is the fun of this. And so... Um, so we we establish that Edward seems to be lacking in some moral and morality ethics and maybe a little um, practical common sense here because mm -hmm. yeah. then we he's he's essentially that guy from Office Space Milton with the red stapler uh -huh. like it's like the, the, the disgruntled worker you know who yeah. who eventually destroys everything uh, yeah. but uh, so so we have. Um, with the next scene is he's called into the uh, not oh, the very next before, scene before yeah. that he's like starting a whisper campaign against the captain Ooh, right that's in what's the mess hall right and he's doing it so ineffectively so he's like so talking to this guy who's getting his lunch so new commander barf <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nobody likes her actually I think people likes her no no they don't well <laughs> plus the guy has walked away by now and he like and he's kind of just still standing and then he finally says. No, no, they don't. Like, to no one now. Like, he's so slow on the uptake. Um, so, we, right. Then we have um, him in the lab. Um, no, this is before he's well, in the it lab. Looks, it, looks, it looks like engineering or something. And she's yeah. praising this other officer and says, oh, I'm looking forward to having more fascinating work from you in the future. And there's this big robotic thing doing stuff in the background. Right. And, and he sees 
the captain praising this other officer. And so he gets his tribble. He's got a tribble in a glass box and he sprays it with something, with something. So yeah. we know that he's going ahead with his plan. So then he uh, gets called to the captain's office and she tells him, um, uh, Starfleet Command has received anonymous complaints about her and her work. Several and, last night. Yes, last night. And that she's dumb. And she's bad at <laughs> her, her job, job. Should be replaced immediately. And she's dumb. <laughs> yes. And she's, and he, and she's like, well, what do you have to say about that? He's like, well, are you dumb? Are you bad at your job? Like, he's like, he's totally terrible. And like, she, she knows he did it. And, yeah. and he's trying to pretend that she doesn't know he did it. And those, those were anonymous messages. And that means <laughs> I, you don't know who sent them. <laughs> right. Uh, so she tells him like, look, it's not working out. We're transferring you to another ship. Um, and then he won't stop talking. Like I know she keeps saying the conversation is over and variations on that <laughs> phrase. Like, but no, I can just keep talking and then the conversation <laughs> won't be over. <laughs> it reminds me of Voyager where uh, Janeway was the, the, we just talked about a few weeks ago. That's Starfleet for get out. <laughs> Dismissed. <Yeah. laughs> so, and then we have this great scene where, so the triples oh, have started. But b- b- before then though, it's yep. like, he's, are you saying I'm dumb? Yes. It's like, no, you contacted Starfleet and said, I'm dumb. But he becomes fixated on the idea that she has said he's dumb when she hasn't said that. Right, right. Yes. The, the imagined slights the, that, that, that comes up that justify his actions. So the triples start reproducing. As we know, they start popping off of each other. Um, and then we have this explosively explosively. We have this scene where he's standing, he steps out of his quarters, presumably in the middle of the night in his pajama top and seeing people e- rushing past him. Running, oh yeah. Everyone's running around him. He's like, what's going on? There's a, there's a lab breach. And then they pull back the camera and he's standing there in his tidy whiteies. You guys need some help? <laughs> Just his underpants. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. It's like, the guy is so incompetent. Uh, and we have this great moment of uh, uh, over over the action on the scene of the triples reproducing and being found in places. We have Bing Cro- Crosby singing Johnny Appleseed as they collect tribbles. <laughs> like, because I mean, the idea that he's Johnny Appleseed, who's who's uh, who's planted tribbles everywhere, I guess. Yep. <laughs> oh, my yep. gosh. It was so funny. Interesting analogy. Nice callback to mid 20th century pop culture. Yes. Very nice. Also, there's a scene where they're in the lab and and the captain is there and they're learning the, the tribbles are breeding explosively now. And Edward is, who did this? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and as they're talking, this guy walks in in the background. And he just got a big vacuum on his back where it's this huge tube sucking it, up it, tribbles. It, it's this Dr. Seuss looking vacuum. Yeah. yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> The triple vacuum. I want one of those. Um, yeah. And then we find and in, in the Johnny Appleseed montage, we get a bunch of short little takes on things where we get the captain in her ready room sitting on a triple, which is a classic. Every time you have a triple episode, the captain yep. has to sit on a triple. Um, you get other people collecting tribbles and putting them in big translucent boxes or transparent yep. boxes of plastic. But we then see Edward collecting tribbles. He's putting them in a stew pot. that's right to be cooked um the one of the one of the other scientists the trill scientist she reveals that they've discovered that the uh the the, they're born pregnant the tribbles are born which is a callback to the original trouble with tribbles episode yep Um, and that's a real thing in terrestrial biology there are some species that are that are that are born that way particularly uh some mites are born that way and uh, they're also um there's another group of uh, species that are born that way, like including a fly. So species? that's actually a real thing. Interesting. 
Well, as, as Edward says, that's what happens when you mix triple DNA and human DNA and then reveals yeah. that it was his DNA and everyone goes, ew. He's like, oh, it would be better if it was his. <laughs> yeah, I don't I'm not sure what I mean. It's the trope. Of course, it's going to be his DNA. Of course. Um, but I, I kind of agree with him. It's like, well, why? If it's going to be anybody's, why not mine? Yeah. Why is like someone else is going to be better? Yes. And and the Captain Lucero, you know, says you, you disobeyed a direct order. He's like, but it worked. Like, it doesn't matter. It's <laughs> doesn't matter this if it works. This is not going to go well for you. Yes. Um, there. So what we we then see, you know, the tribbles are reproducing so rapidly, exponentially, that that we we see from the outside the windows filling up. Of course, we yeah. have a problem here, a logical problem. Where well, is where all the biomass? Yeah. In, yeah. in the trouble with tribbles, they were eating all the grain, but right. A, Maybe there's lots of grain on board that they're using to deal with. To address the starvation issue. Yeah. yeah. It could be they should have included a line about that or something. Yeah. Um, the We also get other riffs on previous Tribble episodes. Like if you have a Tribble episode, Tribbles must fall on someone. <laughs> yes. You have to have a Tribble fall. And here, though, they play it instead of for comedy, like in all the other cases, they play it for horror. And we have this woman screaming as yeah. Tribbles fall on her. Yeah, Presumably she doesn't die because we find out later that only one person dies. On board, right. um, so and they're the, all the uh, ship. Ship is now running out of oxygen, yes. and they're evacuating. There's, there's yeah. Moving walls of tribbles, and they're evacuating, and they're like getting into the. Apparently, they have a really small crew, yeah. And they're evacuating into this shuttle to get off the ship, and the captain is like urging Edward to come. And he's standing there and he's still stuck on this yeah. idea of you said I'm dumb and I'm not dumb. He's and monologuing. He's clearly, <laughs> yeah, he's monologuing and he's clearly dumb because he's then overwhelmed by a wall of tribbles. Yes. <laughs> and then we, we'll find out later that the ship's uh, the ship structure uh, uh, failed uh, at the number and of he, tribbles. He was lost. So those tribbles ate him. Yeah, ate him or he died in the explosive decompression. But one or the other. Yeah. Uh, let's hope that was the latter. Um and then we we then go to Lynn uh, being court-martialed back at Starfleet headquarters, Lynn Lucero, um, and this list of of uh, her faults are read off to her. In two weeks. In two weeks, you've, you lost your ship, one crew member is dead, and a genetically modified species was released onto the planet that and presumably destroyed everything. Yeah, um, forced an evacuation of an entire civilization. Yes. And it's gotten into Klingon space, causing a diplomatic crisis. How do you explain that? <laughs> yeah. How could you blame this on one crew member? And she just says, he was an idiot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she finally does say he's dumb. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so poor, poor Captain Lucero. I mean, I mean, she made some mistakes, but gosh, uh, yeah. This was not her fault. <laughs> they should. What they should have done was explosively decompress the the uh, ship and ejected the, all the tribbles into space while they hey, were in someplace safe. That's exactly what they did in the mode in God's eye. Oh, we'll see. Yeah, and it didn't work. Oh, really? Well, yeah. well, given that the tribbles apparently did survive the destruction of the Cabot and landed on the planet surface, they must have. Some of them must survive the. Uh, <laughs> going down through the atmosphere and, and the, yeah. the vacuum of space. These are pretty hard well, features. And, and that happened. I mean, like when the Challenger blew up over my grandmother's ranch in Texas, I mean, they found biological samples that were still in their containers and stuff that were oh, fine. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That, okay, that's a story for another time. We're doing a short okay. track. <laughs> she thought I, the I wanna, world was ending. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to ask about that, but we can't do that now. Maybe that'll be in a future uh, uh, patron special uh, we'll, we'll do. Yeah. 
Um, but so, so the, then we get to credits. Uh, I, I have in my notes for this part of the show that yeah. the acting by Edward and Lucero is really good. Yes. They're both really playing their parts well. Yeah, they are. Yeah, this is it's so, so good. I mean, Lark, I, I almost I'm almost sad that Larkin is dead because he would make a funny character to have around for some other uh, stuff that they do. But uh, so then we get roll credits. And if you if you turned off your CBS All Access or whatever at this moment, you missed it. Because and like we said at the beginning, I noticed that there was suspiciously long amount of time provided in the stream yeah. for the credits. So I stuck around. I. I- I noticed that we hadn't seen things that were in the trailer yes. for these. Which, and so I knew there was an extra scene coming. And that might have been on purpose that those were in the trailer. So that's mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, so we get this post credit scene where we see the uh, a tracking message from like a 80s style VCR, just totally anachronistic here. Um, yep. And then a scene that's like a breakfast cereal commercial. Where USS Tribble's- Ravenous <laughs> Stardate Breakfast. <laughs> With a triple cereal. Uh, Tribbles uh, is the brand name. And we have the the, only cereal with self replication. (laughs) Yes, we have a a female officer, these two girls in kid uniforms in a mess hall where the the, the presumably mom is pouring the Tribbles out of the box on a continuous stream because they're replicating. There's a prize at the bottom of the box. Not that you'll ever get to the bottom (laughs) of the box. Uh, Let's see. She, uh, there's a, a picture of Edward that comes up on screen and where it says is. A substantial amount of Edward in the cereal. Yeah. Edward has not she, been approved as a human macronutrient. Yeah, <laughs> they flash little messages on the screen like they do in real TV commercials. One of them says, Edward macro, Edward trademark macro, macronutrient not approved by Federation Food and Drug Administration. Yeah, firm may present choking hazard. <laughs> it is suggested that you shave cereal with Edward brand triple razor included in the triple cereal super salon playset sold separately. <laughs> Edward Cereals LLC not responsible if triples... Uh, Thrive and replicate in digestive tract. Chew thoroughly. <laughs> that comes in original, hairy berry, and new spicy ranch. Yeah. And then at the end, we're pregnant with flavor. And now, and of course, you have the little girl doing the mmm furry, which is yeah. so gross. Oh man, it tickles. It tickles. All right, so um, well, well, let's take a moment now as we finish up uh, to hear mm-hmm. what Father Corey had to say about this episode. So it's a few minutes long, and uh, we'll we'll hear that now. Howdy, y'all! I really enjoyed this episode, and I think this episode and the other episodes of uh, short treks we've had so far this season, the other one, a Q and A, are a good sign for short treks this year. Last year, I uh, think we were pretty unanimous in liking two of the episodes and not liking two of the others. The Calypso and Escape Artist episodes we all really enjoyed. We thought they were great, well-done episodes. The Runaway and Brightest Star, we weren't so happy about. We didn't agree with those quite as much. Uh, This year, though, is not quite the same issue. Uh, So far, Q&A, and in my opinion, this episode, The Trouble with Edward, well done. Very funny, very clever episodes. I like some of the parallels in this one, especially between... This ep- little short trek and the Trouble with Tribbles episode, you know, you see that scene where uh, the captain sits down in her uh, command, her uh, chair in her ready room, and there's a Tribble there. You know, that, of course, immediately calls back to Kirk sitting down in the command chair of the Enterprise, and there's a, uh, there, there's a Tribble there. Um, there's that scene where the tribbles are just pouring out of that panel on the ship. And again, that's paralleling that opening up that container that was supposed to be full of grain. And it was said of being full of tribbles that fell down on Kirk's head. 
you know, things like that. You know, the idea that the Tribbles could actually reproduce to the point of destroying a ship and overrunning a, an ecology. And that, I think that answers one of the questions about Tribbles is how could this animal survive to the point, you know, to, to go on and be throughout the universe. You would think that if they reproduce this prolific, prolifically, if there's so many of them, they're constantly reproducing, that eventually the planet would not be able to sustain them. And, of course, it, it explains, the episode explains that originally they didn't reproduce this strongly. They, they reproduced very low, had a very low reproductive rate. And that's how Lorca could have a tribble on the, on the discovery because they weren't seen as a threat. They didn't reproduce that often. They weren't a big deal. They just kind of sat there and cooed and looked cute. And so it wasn't a big deal. Well, now with the, the addition of Edward Larkin's DNA causing them to be born pregnant, as it says both uh, in Troubled Tribbles and in this episode, yet another parallel. Now now we see why they're, they're such a threat. It's in, interesting. I was expecting when uh, the captain was talking to Larkin. Uh, captain Lucero was talking to to Larkin. That I expected to hear Janeway's line about dismissed that Starfleet for get out. I was always hoping for that, uh, but Larkin was so awkward and just not not a lot of common sense. He was smart, but he didn't have a lot of common sense. He didn't really think through his actions, and of course that led to seeing the the ship destroyed. And then we hear about how it took the Tribbles took over the planet. And ended up in Klingon space. And of course, we know with Trouble with Tribbles that eventually Klingons grow to hate Tribbles and that the feeling is mutual. So, uh, again, this was a very well done episode. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I thought it was uh, very interesting. It was nice to see the Enterprise. You know, of course, they showed the actual the Enterprise model or, you know, whatever you want to put it. They showed the Enterprise. That was nice to see. Uh, I love the Easter egg at the end. Very much a 1980s serial commercial. You know, those of us who grew up during the 80s, we remember those commercials. We love those commercials. We all wanted the super sugary cereal, although um, the Spicy Ranch Tribble sounds rather interesting. So anyways, it uh, was a great, very well done. And it, if this is how the uh, how they're, the um, short treks are going to go going forward, it's going to be awesome. So thanks, Father Corey, for that. Uh, we we do appreciate you recording that for us, and we're 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 sorry you aren't here to uh, participate in the discussion. But you know, we knew you couldn't miss having something to say about this great short trek. So, uh, Jimmy, any last uh, thoughts about uh, this episode of Short Treks, or any of the ones that we're about to see? Well, no, this is this was really good. I really enjoyed this. Um, the fact we've talked about it for almost twice as long as the actual episode really conveys the density yes. of the ideas and, and, and how much there is to say about something like this. We were clearly enthusiastic about this. Yes, yes. Uh, and this uh, apparently bodes well for this season of Short Trek. And uh, also says we need more Pike Enterprise and more Star Trek from them beyond discovery and so i'm glad we're getting that uh this is where we're going to now talk about this month's november's short track which is called ask not uh so before we get into it now we, maybe, maybe i shouldn't ask but why is it called that <laughs> yeah, that's right so that, uh, <laughs> let's talk let's talk about the title first uh because uh you presumably uh, we'll presume that you've seen the episode first, so we, we can we don't have to recap the so, whole thing for you. Spoilers ahoy! Spo yes, yep. the whole thing is a spoiler. It's a very short uh, episode. I think it was like ten under ten minutes or yeah, less than ten minutes. Short. Yeah. Uh, so the title is "Ask Not." And Father Corey, you said that um, that you'd seen a reference that this was reference to what? 
so the the, the, re, the on the memory alpha at least the, they they say what I what I my initial thought was that it's a reference to the famous John F Kennedy quote ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country you know and of course that's a phrase that people have heard a hundred times that's that's probably you know it was it his inaugural address yes his first inaugural yeah his first his inaugural address yes only only inaugural address yes so, only inaugural yeah address. that's what I thought um and that that was my immediate picture and it, it does kind of fit the theme of the short trek. I think Jimmy, yes. though, you have a different read on yeah, it. Yeah, I my first thought was that it's asked. It's based on "Ask not for whom the bell tolls; it tolls for thee," which is a reference to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and either way you go, I don't see a clear connection with what happens in this short track. I think it's too obscure as a title. Yeah, I, I even as like I thought it was the JFK reference, and even as a JFK reference, I thought, how does this fit with it? I didn't really like. I mean, I I get what you're saying, Father Corey, like with what the explanation that they that someone on the memory alpha gave, but I still don't. <laughs> I, I'm not I sure. Get, yeah, I guess the idea yeah. of of service and sacrifice to your nation, or in this case, the Federation and the good, yeah. good you know, good of Starfleet and so on. Yeah, you know, yeah. that is well, not about maybe, you. but you know what they say: the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They they did One say that books. actually. They did say that. So uh, so here's the recap. When an attack on Starbase 28 leaves a surprise prisoner under Cadet Theorist Sadu's watch, she has to make a decision that may threaten her her official standing in Starfleet, her career in Starfleet. Uh, so did anyone else figure it out right from the very beginning that this was a simulation? Oh, of course. Yeah. I as soon as. Uh, so, so, by the way, we've seen Starbase 28 before it was in Discovery. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and they bring in the prisoner with the big face mask on, so we can't initially see him. Creepy. Although we knew because this is everyone knew this is going to be Pike. Right. And as soon as they say Cadet Sidhu, I have in my notes, uh, this is a test. This is only a test. Yep. <laughs> right. Because there's no way they're they're in under ordinary circumstances they're entrusting a prisoner like Captain Pike for mutiny to a cadet. Right. This is clearly some kind of test. Well, and, you know, it was funny because there were YouTube commentators who, even from just the trailer, like there's, you know, one of the trailers for the short trek showed Pike with the, the bracelets, with the, the handcuffs the on, yep. with this cadet. And it's like, yeah, this, this is going to be a test. This is not, well, he's really not going to be under arrest. And that, uh, that, you know, I had said to myself just from the trailer for this thing, that there is, you know, there's something suspicious here. They're, 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 they're not being straight with us because, um, Pike is a good guy. So right. he has to be vindicated by the end of this thing. So yeah. that means what are the implications for the the person? We didn't know it was a cadet at the time, or I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the young person who's hold who's holding him and refusing to let him go. That person is either fundamentally bad at the end of the episode, in which case we have a downer ending. The natural right. inclination is going to be to have this person be good. So there's a misunderstanding of some kind that's built into this, that's just baked into the structure of this episode. It's just right. a question of what's the nature of the misunderstanding. And as soon as I realized this person is a cadet who is therefore a person who, who is being trained, I said, this is a Kobayashi Maru thing. 
Yeah, this yep. is this is some kind of test. Right, as and soon a very as cruel one at that. Okay, yeah. As soon as they said cadet, I knew it was going to be, uh, yeah, a, a simulation. But you're right, Father Corey. I think it's both dangerous and implausible as a test, because mm-hmm. the the very first explosion that happens is heavy enough to throw her across the room. That is, yeah, and knock her is, out. Yeah, yeah, that is like you you you've given the sir a concussion as a part of vetting. I guess it's hazing her as a cadet for a yeah. job. Uh, basically an elaborate charade to vet a cadet for a short training period for the rest of the semester aboard the enterprise an internship. Yeah. You know, like, it's basically the equivalent of an internship. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, this, this so we're, we're going to the core problem of this and right. we're kind of leaping over the episode itself. Right. Um, but well, it's only they, a scene. So yes. <laughs> well, yeah, but still, you know, we're not really walking through the dynamics of the episode, but let's right. get it out of the way. Cause we've already touched this third rail. Um, She's an engineering cadet. She is. Yep. She's going to be posted to like making coffee in engineering. Yes. For the rest mm-hmm. of the semester. My thought was, does everybody get who works on the Enterprise get tested this way? <laughs> right. I mean, that's ridiculous. You're not going to do that to 400 people. And if no. you did, word would get out. You know, Watch people out. would yeah. talk about this. So right. you, this kind of rigorous, intensive vetting, if you're going to do it at all, should be reserved only for key positions, right? Not cadets. See, I, not I, I could ordinary see... engineers. It should be command staff and senior yeah. officers only. See, that's I, I, you know, kind of going off that, Jimmy. I, I could see like a senior, uh, the secure head of security. Like right. if he's picking out a personal head of security that he wants, that he would run the run him or her through this kind of drill. Right, right. This just is, or if it were something like part of like a Kobayashi Maru, like something at the academy, a test mm-hmm. that they put them through at the academy. But this is just ridiculous. I mean, I'm sorry, but it just it 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 bends plausibility to the breaking point on this one. Uh, I I like some of the dynamics in the in the interactions, yeah, but the mm-hmm. The the premise is just flawed fatally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So well flawed. I thought it was still fun. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, it, was, it was a fun fun episode. It just right. The, it starts from kind of a weak point. Yes. Yes. So yeah. uh, so we have this. You know, the base is under attack. We're told um, this cadet is in inventory two on the service. It's not even inventory one. She's in inventory two, uh, uh, keeping track of inventory. So it's like a really lowly place uh, on board. Uh, but then. Yeah. The security officer shows up uh, with a bondage mask on a prisoner's head, um, which is very odd. And he says, uh, you know, why the mask? And he says, though, the crew doesn't need to see that this guy turned. I'm thinking, OK, given what we learn, that given does- his gold shirt and the stripes on the wrist, you know, it's a captain. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And which ship is in you know, around us? Well, it could be the Enterprise. Um, yeah. So. So Pike supposedly, we're told, is he mutinied when he refused to leave this ship, a starship, the USS Bowman, behind when it was attacked by Tholians. But he was, it was ordered to leave on direct orders of some unknown admiral that he rescued from the ship. And then we're told that Sidhu's husband just happens to be on board the Bowman. Right. And they both happen to be victims of a Tholian attack on their co- colony. Um, and, and she and, happens to have been rejected to be on the Enterprise. Both and he ended up on the Bowman, and she wanted to be on the Enterprise and was rejected for it. 
Yes. And the Tholians want the Enterprise. And so he says, let's blow the Tholians to hell. It's what they deserve. And it's like, come on, you're not even trying to pretend this isn't a ruse. Captain <laughs> exactly. Pike would never yeah. say that. Right, right. Uh, and so when Pike refu- supposedly refused to leave the Bowman behind, uh, the, the Admiral said, you know, the Enterprise needs to leave because they're trying to get the Enterprise. He refused to leave them. And so he was relieved of command for resisting. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, that, and then so we that's, have then we have battle of the legal arguments where they're flinging regulations at each other, yeah. which is actually kind of fun as yes. they, it's, it goes by quite fast. Right. But as you it, as it, it is a legal point counterpoint thing they're doing and mm-hmm. it, you know, you can follow it. It makes some sense. Yeah. Now, oh, that, now, that being said, what I wrote down was stop arguing with the prisoner. <laughs> right, right. That should be a, a note tell against him her. Sh- yeah. Tell him to sit down and shut up and keep saying that. Stun him. <laughs> you, the ad phaser has a stun function. Stun him quiet. Um, yep. Yeah, there, there was a couple of like Pike's rejoinders uh, were pretty lame. Like, like, uh, well, a superior officer can counterman that order. Uh, yeah, you're under arrest, so your orders have no bearing. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can order all you yeah. want. It ain't going to do no good. And she, then we have another <laughs> kayfabe breaking moment where he, when Pike says, when this is all done, you will never see the inside of a starship again. And it's like, right. OK, you're not even pretending this isn't a ruse. Captain Pike <laughs> would never be petty and vengeful in that way. Exactly. Nope. Yep. Uh, so, so the cadetsity does get a good line here. She says um, in re- response, tactical force should always be used as a last resort and vengeance should never be a factor. Like she kind of throws it back at him because. Mm-hmm. He's trying to appeal to her desire to get revenge on the Tholians for yep. what they did to her colony and what they may have already done to her husband on his ship. And so, you know, her character moment comes out where her, you know, her moral integrity is intact. Uh, you know, vengeance is not what we're about here in Starfleet. So, uh, but again, how cruel is it to make her think her husband's life was in danger? Yeah. Like, that, yeah. I mean, I would, if I were her, I would be resentful at the end of this. I, mm-hmm. I would well, file charges. They they do say your husband is now on his way to you. Um, so she's going to get to see him soon, even though we don't. And they hang right. a lantern on the cruelty thing after it's all over. And Pike reveals it's a um, it was a test. It's like a challenge like this might seem extreme, even inhumane. But it's necessary for a making coffee and engineering position. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And apparently number one came up with had the idea for this. Like she she's the one who came up with this this really awful test to, to put on cadets. No, no, obviously Spock approved. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because Spock was there well, too. He he I don't know that he he says Spock gets a nice line. He says, We've all learned not to expect no mercy from number one. And she kind of looks at him like <laughs> I think there's. I think Spock is not entirely approving. Uh, right, right. Uh, and then again, like we have the you know the coffee making intern in, in in engineering, but Pike, the captain of the ship, is the one who escorts her down to her new duty posting and just kind of leaves her there. Doesn't introduce her to anybody, but you know. Yeah. Um. So, a uh, couple things. I I really liked the look of the Enterprise's engine room. Uh, mm-hmm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And actually, and just very, a, very different from what we see in the original series. So, yes. if you're a stickler yeah. about that, sorry. Yeah, well, we've that yep. ship has sailed. Uh, actually, literally in the sense of Enterprise, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it also sort of justifies all that open space we're seeing in the secondary hall. It's a very big open space. Um, yep. And uh, a question: Why doesn't Pike answer her when she asks if the phaser that she was given was operational? Like, like. 
like I, I get it if it were a contemporary thing was the gun loaded you know that's the question but it's yeah. a phaser it stuns like the, what's the worst that could happen is she'd stun him and he'd be knocked out right I, I, I there's there's part of me that wants to say well by not answering he's answering in the affirmative but what's the what's the like what's the big dramatic being, point being he's being playful okay he's just being mysterious for the fun of it right yeah i guess i guess yeah i do i mean it just seemed like an we're trying to find some clever way to wrap up the the little 10 minute episode yep. and that's, that's it up. and we need something that we could use in the original series that would trigger the yep. clarinet of humor but yes. uh <laughs> this is basically that right right that's true that's true all right so that's i mean that's the whole thing there's not much more yeah. to say about it i think unless you guys have anything left uh, that just, we haven't you know, one, one thing uh, again going to you know what i've seen other commentators uh say on on online it's interesting how much time and effort they put into that that cgi engineering room right uh, you know because there are these rumors and interest and we know there's interest on the part of fans but even on the part of CBS, I'm sure, because fans want it to have right. a Pike Enterprise TV show, or now that there's the merger between CBS and Viacom, possibly even a movie. That would be. I would much rather have a TV show than a movie. Same TV here. shows Same last here. longer. It, you know, and Star Trek always does better. Star Trek's first best destiny is to be television. Uh, there's a there's a there's a conversation I want to have somewhere. I'm not sure where that will be. Where I want to deposit that. We're better off with t- the given the streaming series we have the ability to st- have streaming series now. Mm-hmm. We're better off with streaming series than movies for most of our oh, most most popular storytelling. It used to be movie was the big thing you always wanted to get, but maybe the better thing is to be a streaming series. But uh, that's it. And, and, and I I will grant that, but it's just the fact that they went through such effort yes. to create engineering instead of just showing her you know him leading her into the door to engineering, which you could know because it's the big blast doors right and leaving it at that they actually went through and made this detailed cgi set yeah. there's something yeah. going on there i, I kind of oh, agree yeah. with those commentators the, that are thinking that there's something going on there the whole point of the first three short tracks is just to keep fan interest alive for a pike series right yeah that's right that's right okay the girl who made the stars it is a i would say it's a Animation done in the more CGI, it's Pixar it's style. Pixar type, yeah. yeah. It's kind of the Pixar type animation. Really, um, these days, even the two D animation is done on computers. It is right. This is they're trying to make it look like Pixar three D animation here. Right, and so the the short form is is we have a young Michael Burnham who is living with her her parents, her biological parents, as we mm-hmm. we met them in the second season of Discovery, and. Uh, there's a lightning storm in space around their station and she's having trouble sleeping. And her dad tells her a story of an African uh, tale, a tale from, from uh, African mm-hmm. history um, that to, to kind of make her less scared, I guess it is. It, it really, yeah. and it really sounded like a kind of a typical uh, native nativist religion, you know, how, how the world came into existence. It's kind of sounds along that lines. Yeah. And we've heard this story before, because if you look at the second season of Discovery episode Brother, Mm -hmm. it starts with an opening narration in which uh, Michael Burnham says, 
A thousand centuries ago in Africa, the um, Abathwa tribe gathered to share a story, the tale of a girl who dug her hands into the wood ash and threw it into the sky and created the Milky Way. And hidden there, a secret buried among the eternal stars, was a message, an enormous letter in a bottle made of space and time, visible only to those whose hearts were open enough to receive it, all my life. When I first heard the story of the girl who made the stars, I wasn't ready to understand. I still don't know if I am. So bear that in mind as we watch this episode, because this is apparently the first time she's heard the story of the girl who made the stars when her dad tells mm -hmm. it to her. Okay. So uh, this is not voiced by uh, either of the character. I don't think this is the same actor who plays it her is. dad. It M is. Mike is the same character and it's, uh, Kenrick Green, and if the last name sounds familiar, because Sonequa Martin Green, it's her husband. Oh, oh, oh really? Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Okay. But obviously, Sonequa Martin Green wouldn't easily be able to do an eight-year-old girl voice, so they have a no. different actress for that. Right. Uh, Kyrie McAlpin is her name. And mm -hmm. uh, so we have, uh, she has a stuffed tardigrade uh, and a stuffed animal. <laughs> mistake mistake it right. immediately yep. popped me out of the episode and i'm thinking about why does she have a tardigrade here right um right. all i did like though uh th they have a cgi fake out with the station because we initially see this what looks like a station and then it turns out to be like an art object in right. her bedroom yeah um I also really liked seeing her dad. It was just so nice to see her dad alive and functional in a healthy mm -hmm. relationship with his daughter being a loving father. That was just so nice. I loved that. Right. It's very Pixar, isn't it? It's like the mm -hmm. idea of like a, the family that they, and that, that is nice. Um, she's, she tells her dad, she wakes from a nightmare. She tells her dad that she's more afraid of the idea of being scared than she is actually scared, which I thought was interesting. Mm, and an interesting that's a little pretzel logic there. Yes, it, it, it's an interesting character moment for, for Michael Burnham. Um, and so he tells her the story of the girl who changed the universe forever with one tiny light. Uh, and we get this the, the in Africa a thousand centuries ago, the first people so, celebrated so the sun. That's a hundred thousand years ago, which means right. these are pre-behaviorally modern humans. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, my, myths, you know. They would be anatomically modern, but not behaviorally modern. Right. Right. Uh, and at the time, there were no stars in the night sky. Uh, How about that? <laughs> yeah. So no other planets, apparently. Uh, and, the, and we uh, need a little girl whose name is Mary Sue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. right. It is obviously, a, and obviously Michael. Uh, and I, we've seen this in other animations before, you know, animated stories where a story is told. And it turns out that the child in the story looks just like, you know, the, the child the story is being told to is placed into the character, the role. I mean, it's a it's yeah. a it's a trope that you see in animations and in books, for that matter, kids books. And, and that's reasonable because kids identify with the characters in the stories. Right. I mean, we all right. identify with the characters in the stories we're watching, but kids do it in a particular way. They imagine themselves in the situation that they're hearing about. And that's fine. Yep. Um, what I have as a problem here is this is backstory to a moment I don't really care about. If you're going to do a, a short track, I'd like right. to see you do it on something I'm actually interested in. And I'm not interested in the narrate in the opening narration for the episode brother. Right. Right. It, it's mm -hmm. a, it's an odd choice. I'm like, I, I'm not sure what they're, 
This is, by the way, so far, the only short trek that connects to Discovery. So this mm-hmm. season. Direct, yeah. Um, for obvious reasons, given the ending of season two. But yeah, what? it's what is the what? Why are we why are they telling in the grand scheme? What place does this story have in Trek? They, they've hinted that it's going to play more in the future, the mm-hmm. next season. But I mean, how does that play? We don't know. Well, yeah. her mom is coming back, um, right. you know, next season, I guess, because she was in the future and now they're in the future, mm-hmm. too. So right. I assume we're going to be seeing mom. Um, one thing I wondered that also kind of was a distraction as I watched this was because I, I kept asking myself, is this really what I'm here for with Star mm-hmm. Trek? And I don't think it is. I'm not really here to watch children's stories in Star Trek. Um, but I found myself being distracted by, is this a real myth? Or the writers just made this up. And it turns out, yes, it is actually a real myth. I looked it up. Oh, Hmm. interesting. Well, to kind of connect, you made two points. I I think, A, there is going to be an animated Trek series aimed at kids coming. Yeah. They've announced that. So this might be a precursor or laying the groundwork for that. Uh, But also, uh, secondarily, um, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves in discussing this. And it's only an eight minute, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, animation. So it's right. But. There are aliens that show up here that yes. interact with this girl. Yeah. And I think that might be, Father Corey, what you were saying. This might be where it inter- intersects with the upcoming like season we, of yeah, Discovery. We might, we might meet those aliens or whatever. Because hmm. like I said, you know, this, it's really this basically was a, a kind of a typical native religion or origin story, kind of like you yeah. hear throughout history. But then they add the sci-fi element of instead of being, you know, a, a god from the sky coming down in his flaming chariot. It's an alien who crash landed on Earth and needed to fix his ship instead. Right. It's still yeah. kind of weird that how does the alien create the stars if there are stars were yeah. already in the sky that the alien came from? <laughs> I'm yeah. kind of curious. But <laughs> yeah. This is a case where I think the MST3K mantra does not apply. We, we I can't just <laughs> relax. It's just a show. It, you know, mm-hmm. um, the I'm learning about. Interestingly, I mean, I also have in my notes that learning about human myths is not really what I tune into Star Trek for. I mean, if you want to tell me a, about a human myth in the course of a story, like, you know, Gilgamesh and Enkidu at Uruk, okay, yeah, or- fine. But it needs to be part of a bigger story. And right. it's mm-hmm. not here. It's the central story. Right. It, it's not, but- there's not much Star Trek in this Star Trek. If if, yeah. if it's, it is a saving grace, though, this is just a short trek. So yes. it's yeah. not like a full story. So that helps a lot. Yeah. So, so, the, the, so it turns Mer- out that. Oh, go ahead. Well, so it, at night, it, it, people are forbidden to uh, go out of the village because there's a, they think there's a giant snake monster that will eat them. And despite that, uh, Mary Sue goes out at night to look for stuff and like a better place to be for the tribe or something. Mm-hmm. And she finds right. a spaceship with an octopus thing. And 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 the octopus thing gives her a ball and tells her the first step is conquering her fear. And now she should lead her people by example. So little eight year old Mary Sue is going to become the leader of her people. And uh, she takes the ball back to her people. And as the apparently uh, old man sage priest figure is scolding her for going out at night, um, which I guess is the message of this. It's okay, kids, to go out at night without your parents' permission. Um, (laughs) She unleashes the stars out of the ball. And this conflicts 
with the opening narration of Brother because mm-hmm. she didn't have an alien space ball with the stars inside of it in Brother. In Brother, well, it was much more authentic to an African uh, myth, and yeah. it says the little girl dug her hands into the wood ash and threw the wood ash up in the sky, and it made the stars. Well, the myth would, would change over the centuries or whatever to reflect people's understanding of the world as opposed to alien. I mean, I, I could right. I could see that there would be differences in the in the myth from... Well, I think your dad is just spicing it up. It's like a yeah, historical yeah. episode of Doctor Who. You got to throw in the aliens. <laughs> Probably. Exactly. Probably. You know, one of the things that occurred to me was that when the night beast is trying to uh, attack her as she's out in in the dark, uh, it was very much reminiscent of the when she was saved on Vulcan when when Michael went out mm-hmm. uh, with and the Lamatia. Spock, Spock had a saver from the Lamatia. I thought that was a very interesting. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I thought that was interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the the moral of the story is the light it was in, the light that she was seeking was inside her all along. Um, yeah, and so then Mary Sue becomes queen, and because of course she does. Yes. Yep. And um, and she's not just a queen; she's a warrior queen. And we <laughs> yeah. cut back to the bedroom where we have a genuinely sweet ending. I like yeah. the mm-hmm. way you know uh, Michael's father tucks her in, and it's really sweet. Right. I like that part. Yep. Um, and then as the stinger. We have uh, the warrior queen attacking and defeating the the, sudden jump cut to the warrior queen attacking and defeating the night monster. Right. And so Mary Sue triumphant. Just take that. Everybody in the audience. She kills the power of the night or something. (laughs) And, And so this also seems to conflict with the opening narration of brother because Apparently, at this point, Michael does understand the meaning of the story, but she says in the opening narration of Brother, when I first heard the story of the girl who made the stars, I wasn't ready to understand. I still don't know if I am. And I'm going, the message came through pretty loud and clear here. Conquer <laughs> well, your fears and go to sleep. Well, no, I think in the in the Brother, she was saying what she didn't under, wasn't ready to understand was that there was a bigger story here about the Red Angel and all of that. Mm. Stuff. Mm. I think that's what what you're seeing in that. So I don't I don't feel like that's a conflict here. I mean, you, you she had the understanding as a child, and it turns out there was much more to the story than she ever thought. I suppose. Mm. You know, I, I'm not going to push it too far. This is like, uh-huh. you know a short animation. So, um, yeah. so it so it's okay as a as a um, as a tale about you know um yeah. african you know history and and that sort of stuff it's it's all right but like you say jimmy it doesn't really feel a lot like star trek so mm-hmm. I, I can one, take it or leave it one thing i was irritated about in this though is there was a point where once again it's a little kid not talking like a little kid where the father does that whole thing about you know you're you're afraid of being afraid more than actually being afraid and she goes i'm a little kid i don't understand this thing yeah, thank no you, little Winston, kid says that. Thank you, Winston Churchill. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's like a lot of like a lot of animated stuff. Oh, kids' books, frankly, that where the kids don't sound or act like kids. They they sound like and adults. That's, that's just one of those irritations for me. Whenever they do that, it's like, do you actually know kids and understand them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's welcome well, to my since life. Since <laughs> these writers are from Hollywood, maybe they don't. <laughs> that's possible. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's uh, let's put this one to bed. Ha ha. And oh, <laughs> saw what you did there. And we'll move on to the the other short track that thankfully they released two at once. And this was also mm-hmm. animated. By the way, these are the first two animated Star Trek stories 
since the end of the animated series, the last episode, the counterclockwise counterclock wow. incident. I don't know. Yeah, it's back, in all that back in the seventies. Back in the seventies. I will funny. say. I will say. Just kind of wrap up the, the girl is. That's probably the first misstep, in my opinion, they've had with short treks this season. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so the, I, I wondered, and actually, Dom, I wondered how you would react to this as a father, because I know that you. I'm sure tell bedtime stories to your kids. I thought it might speak to you in a greater way than it did me or Father Corey. Mm-hmm. I did not have as much of a negative reaction to it as, as you guys did, and I think partly because I'm I'm sort of more proximate, more used to these style. Mm-hmm. This is this is uh, this is the sort of well, stuff that they make for kids, and so mm-hmm. I, it didn't didn't strike me that. Uh, but as far as I I got a warm feeling from the dad. In mm-hmm. this, I did like yeah. the dad, that connection, that relationship that she yeah. has a strong relationship with her father. Perhaps I think in in Discovery, they've kind of intimated that maybe Michael was closer to her dad than she was to her mom. Mm-hmm. And that's come yeah. across. And so that's very she's very close to her dad in this, too, which I, well, I like that. Well, I, I agree with you. I like the I like the father. I think he, yeah, he I did. Was done well. And I, but other, the story of the whole, I was just kind of meh. <laughs> yeah, I but my bedtime stories are different. Last night I had Alexa read me a history of astronomy textbook. So <laughs> and I read Tom Clancy. So yeah. <laughs> so um, so let's start with Ephraim and Dot, which was the other one that they released. This is uh, also mm-hmm. animated in it in the more the cell style of animation. It's yeah. obviously again, my, like you said, it's it's computer generated. But my, my my first note was very Tom and Jerry or Sylvester and Tweety esque. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. It it also starts as if it's a school film. They have right. like, and I don't know if modern kids have this experience. This may be mm. another Hollywood disconnect with the experience of kids today. Um, but when I was in school, we had film strips that right. would be shown to us that were of an educational nature. And there'd always be on an old style projector, there would always be some shakiness as the film began. And so the frame would shake and you'd see some you know, scratches on the film and it would frequently be in black and white and there would be a narrator and they start this episode just like that. Right. It's it's in black and white. You have a narrator, you have the same scratches on the film, which is totally anachronistic Uh, because it's like the future. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And you have a Leonard Nimoy sound alike as the narrator telling us about tardigrades and introducing Mm -hmm. our personified tardigrade, just like you would see a personified animal in an old school film strip. Um, We have a tardigrade named Ephraim, which is interesting because Ephraim is a male name, just like Michael is, but Mm -hmm. uh, this is a female tardigrade, we're told. In fact, she's pregnant and is searching for a place to lay her eggs. And so that's, that's Ephraim's mission is to find a good, safe place to lay eggs, which can take years to hatch. So yep. this this kind of reminded me of the 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 film explanation the the ride in Jurassic Park where they have the explanation of the, how they've got the dinos yes and that mm-hmm. was all animated too so it kind of reminded me a little like that it does quickly switch from the black and white to the color animation and it's more apparently apparently real time um, mm-hmm. yep. and uh, and con. <laughs> So this is definitely the original series, right? We have oh, yes. the original series Enterprise, Kirk, McCoy, Khan. Uh, we have a voiceover from the TOS episode Space Seed. By the way, the, the the design of the Enterprise in this even is the original series design, not the Discovery style. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, uh, special much, effects. Much stuff. closer to the, the TOS Enterprise. Yes. Um, and so we have 
this Looney Tunes style chase through the ship because uh, the tardigrade Ephraim is trying to get in and a security drone dot seven, which we've seen in other episodes of Discovery. And uh, in the short trek, it was in the Ask Not episode. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, they so that this dot uh, drone comes out and zaps the tardigrade. Um, and we again, like we said, we have this this Looney Tune style chase through the ship and Physical the tardigrade comedy. Yes, yep. Uh, the tardigrade sees the engines, uh, falls in love, and lays its eggs on the engines. Uh, then inside, dot, inside, and then Dot uh, shows up and there's more chasing. We see Sulu uh, from the episode Naked Time with mm-hmm. the sword doing his D'Artagnan impression. Um, and then we have the tardigrade. It gets thrown outside and has to chase the Enterprise via warp, apparently, and through time, yep. through yep. space, where we get images from. And here's here we get we get the giant green hand in space from Who Mourns for Adonis. Who Mourns for Adonis. Yep. We have the cornucopia weapon from Doomsday Machine. Mm-hmm. We have the Tholian web. Mm-hmm. We have the uh, the space Lincoln from Savage Curtain. Yep. Uh, we have the Reliant attacking the Enterprise in Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Klingon Bird of Prey and the destruction of the Enterprise in Search for Spock. And that's no. that's where the, we, the chase ends, because, of course, the eggs are in this Enterprise that's about to be destroyed. And they, right. they made a mistake, however, here on the, the two, uh, the the revised or refit enterprise they've called it the ncc 1701a right that no, that enterprise yet yeah yeah that enterprise did not exist uh during any of this the eggs could not have been on the a let's put it that way yeah. exactly so i have in my notes star trek can do comedy but can it do slapstick cartoon comedy <laughs> um because we have had comedy episodes that were great like the trouble with tribbles is is one um yeah, also, and we do you see know, some tribbles by the way yeah what's that we do see oh, some yeah. tribbles in this one i too. know yeah. for some reason there are tribbles on the ship and that initially was disorienting to me because we start with the wrath of khan scene and i'm thinking okay we're late first season mm. and then we back up to the naked now no. so they've got yeah. things or the naked time yeah. and so they've they seem to have scrambled the order of things but we at first I was having cognitive dissonance because we're jumping around in time. And then and, and I see tribbles and I'm going, why are there tribbles on this ship? We haven't hit that episode yet. And then I realized what they're doing is they set us up in the opening narration saying these eggs can take years to hatch. And so they're compressing all mm-hmm. of these events down into a, 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 a single short for us. But apparently we're meant to understand that Ephraim was in and interacting with Dot on the Enterprise and chasing the Enterprise all the way through the original (laughs) series from the first season through the third movie where the Enterprise blows up. Right. Like uh, something like 20 years like in in, in, in Mm -hmm. story. And perhaps tardigrades can travel through time like they travel through subspace, you know, because it has to fly at warp, right? And through the mycelial network, maybe it's, yeah. travels well, backwards in time. They, they, I mean, that's what was part of the first season discover discovery is they through the mycelial network, they actually traveled forward in time. Right. So maybe yep. tardigrades can as well. Yes. Hmm. That's that, uh, that, I mean, you know, if you want to stretch the, <laughs> stretch the can, your head cannon to, to fit it, yeah. you can. Mm-hmm. I, mean, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's part of the canon of the mycelial network is it travels right. through both time and space. So it's right, not implausible. Right. So we can assume that's what Ephraim is doing here. And uh, so the while uh, Ephraim is trying to save uh, her eggs that are on the ship as it's being destroyed around them, uh, Dot attacks again and 
Uh, Ephraim gets thrown clear. The Enterprise explodes, self-destructs, and and Ephraim thinks that you know it sees the the Enterprise crashing into the Genesis planet and thinks that the eggs are destroyed. And no, oh, we're very sad. And then uh, Dot shows up and it has saved the little hatched tardigrades inside itself in space. Yeah, because Dot saw them hatching and saved them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so and we, uh, and we have a sweet ending and and yeah. and the narr- w- w- Leonard Nimoy narrator sound alike comes back and tells us that dots that Ephraim is off for another amazing adventure. And e- we also see that Ephraim takes dot with her on the adventure because, yeah. you know, Gilgamesh and Enkidu at a rook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dot and Ephraim at the Genesis planet. So, yeah. <laughs> so our, as it says, our new family goes boldly where no one has gone before. And they fly off again. And, and uh, we get the original series in music yes. to go out on. Yeah. And uh, speaking of music, it's, this episode yes. is directed by Michael Giacchino, the, oh. the composer, uh, oh. who, who is uh, not just of Star Trek, but of many great uh, uh, films that have been out there, including nice. The Incredibles and, and other stuff. So he he's done Star Trek uh, movies and, and that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. it's I, kind I, of fun. He's good, dipped his hand into directing and animation. Yeah, I thought you were going to mention something else about the music. When Ephraim and Dot are fighting in the in the uh, warp nacelles, or in the engineering section anyway, we actually get a new arrangement of the original s- series fight music. You know, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was really good, too. Yeah, a lot of fun, yeah. a lot of fun. So uh, so that's so that's that short. Um, I, I, I like this much more than I like the other one. I mean, the other one was OK, but. This this was a lot of fun, even as See, it stretched I, reality. I grew up with Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry and all those, so I yeah. loved it because it was just kind of an it was as much an homage to the, that style of you know nineteen thirties nineteen forties cartoons as it was to the TOS episodes that they kind of winked at. Right. Mm-hmm. I I liked it. I, I certainly liked it better than the girl who made the stars. I had some cognitive dissonance. I think they could have done certain things to set it up for us a little bit better. Like one thing I found myself wondering about was why does why does Ephraim want the eggs? You know, she's like really keen to stay with these eggs. And I assume she's like because all the narrator said at the beginning was she needs to find a spot to lay her eggs. And I thought she's like a sea turtle or a real tardigrade. She's going right. to lay the eggs and leave. But apparently we're meant to understand, no, she needs to nest them or something. And she needs to sit on them or stay with them or something. So she's more like an octopus or a bird. And, and I I think they could have covered that in a line of narration in the, in the opening to let Mm -hmm. us know she needs to stay with them. Um, But, uh, but I did enjoy it. I like little things in it. Like there's a moment where um, Ephraim gets thrust out into space by dot and dots looking at her out a porthole and does the live long and prosper (laughs) sign. Um, And there's a lot of fun stuff. Once I got, what they were trying to do i enjoyed it yeah it just it took me a while to get what they were trying to do right i really like the 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 inclusion of shatner's kirk and you know mccoy Mm -hmm. and and montalban as as khan and having the actual voiceover material you know the the actual recorded voices from the original episode that they just played you know they didn't get the real actors back of course but they just played uh, in which case they couldn't with divorce kelly but you, yeah, you know or, what i mean or, 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 or ricardo Maltavon, right but but it's just it's nice that, that like that that inclusion of that that was a very great touch i mean just to have yeah. that connection the original trek was back 
we like yeah. this is the first new original series content that we've had since the 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 you know i suppose generations with the with kirk i suppose but mm-hmm. even before that so uh, a lot of fun i was uh, I, I did like that so uh interesting I, you know in the grand scheme of things um of short treks and of where where trek is uh, you know maybe yeah, I, you could do some kremlinology about why they chose to do these animations of these these particular animations why they chose to do animation at all i'm going to guess that as they're ramping up the animated series that they are actually producing this mm-hmm. is this might have been just a sort of uh proof of concept or even you know in, in a way a pilot so situation right. for those animation houses yeah i thought what i thought they were going to do is um you know give us essentially pilots for the two animated series right um but they didn't because uh we we know enough about the two animated series that it, these seem to be standalones right right um but they may be proof of concept standalones yes i think that's i think that's what it is and and, and may in fact reflect the style of animation we're going to see was, in each that, one. See, that was kind of my thought. Is I know we've got the the lower decks, which is supposed to be the more the adult animation, and perhaps the girl is kind of that's the style it's going to be in. And then yeah. there's supposed to be more of a you know like a Nickelodeon level kids one. And Ephraim and Dot is more the style that one's going to be in. I'm I'm thinking it's the other way around. I'm thinking okay. that the one aimed at kids is going to be the more Pixar animation, yeah. and because that's Perhaps. really popular with kids. And then the and the, the older style, more traditional animation, is going to be the one that's aimed more at okay. adults. And Fair do enough. we know? I don't remember now. Do, do we know where Lower Decks is set? Is it set in? Yeah, it it's set. Oh, in terms of time, time I, and place, actually, what ship it is. Yeah, we know the name of the ship. I think it's the Conestoga. Okay. And it mm. is a ship that follows up on first contact. So it's like a second contact ship. Oh, I thought okay. it was something like California or something like that. I think it was California Conestoga, class. Yeah. Yeah. Because Conestoga or, was the ship from the um, Enterprise episode. Right. Okay. Right. Oh, yeah. So, and do we know what the time period is? Is it Discovery time period, Enterprise time I, period? I think I've read it, but I don't remember for sure. I think it's kind of original series Discovery type period. Okay, yeah. okay. I think that sounds um, familiar. Um, yeah, just I'm curious about to uh, see how, yeah, how how wh- where if this was even just like the the even they're developing the style, the production design of what it will look like in the ships and the characters and that sort of stuff. So I'll be curious mm-hmm. to see that. Um, By the way, I sent uh, y'all a link to the original girl who made the stars of Legend. And so we can include that link in the show notes. Okay, we'll do that. If listeners want to read the original for themselves. Yep, excellent. So today we're discussing this last of the short treks called Children of Mars. And it's about eight minutes long. And it's a bit different from the other short treks we've, we've had. Because right. this is not a Star Trek Discovery, uh, P- uh, Pike's Enterprise era short trek. It's a Picard era as we this get the new actually, Picard series. This was actually meant to be a lead into the actual Picard series. Yes. Right. I mean, they stated as such that this was that was this one was going to be. Right. And we should probably talk about the title, Children of Mars, yep. um, because it, it, I wondered what it was going to be about. I thought it might be set on Mars, but it's not. It's actually mm-hmm. set in San Francisco because you can mm-hmm. see the Golden Gate Bridge out of one of the. It's about two little girls who were going to school together and and they take a, a physical shuttle 
to go to their school. So it has to be nearby. It's not they don't transport across the planet to get to it. Right. Um, And you can see the Golden Gate Bridge out of one of their windows. So we know this is set in San Francisco. Their parents both work in Starfleet and their parents both work in Starfleet on Mars. So the two little girls are, in some sense, the children of Mars. There may be another reference, though, because uh, another meaning in the title, because Mars is the god of war and war breaks out or some kind of attack happens on Mars during the course of this episode. Yes. Oh, and uh, well, that's important. We'll, and we'll get, we'll discuss it probably a, a bit. But uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about this. The opening, the title sequences really gives us a clue. This, the previous title sequences for the short tracks all were in the style of Star Trek Discovery. This one is in definitely in the font that they use for the titles for Star Trek: The Next Generation. So it really sets mm-hmm. it apart. Um, there's very little dialogue by yeah. the characters. We- we basically have a, 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 a hi, my name is Kima, hi, my name is Lil, my parent works here and does this. Right. And then we get a line of dialogue from each parent over an, over um, video chat. Right. Yep. And, and then maybe some from a teacher later on. But otherwise, not a whole lot of talking. Um, we have also, we have music underlying it. We have a yep. version of or a cover of. David Bowie's We Could Be Heroes, which is interesting. Which yeah. has been covered by other people, too, including including the musical group Blondie. Yes. Um, and this is like the worst version of Heroes <laughs> yes. I've ever heard. I, Heroes I like the song, a, but this was painful to yeah, listen to. He, Heroes is a great song, but this is like the joyless, slow version of it. Right, right. Why? Yeah. Well, yeah. then I also think balance-wise, it was too loud. You know, mm-hmm. like, because they, they did have, there were other sounds you'd hear things going on, like the shuttle taking off and announcements and stuff like that, but you could barely hear them beneath the song. Yeah. I'm well, kind of curious. Was part of, t- to mask the dialogue and obviously to create an emotional effect, but neither of these girls are heroes. Right. This that's my question. totally inappropriate. Well, who's the heroes? That's what, that was my question. Yeah. Her, their parents who apparently perhaps maybe have sacrificed their lives. We're not even sure of that. Uh, it's very odd, very, very strange. Now, I mean, to be fair, it could go back to, you know, you mentioned the, the second meaning of the, the title for the children of war. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, this is them becoming the heroes or whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't by their, they're, they're, they don't do anything. These girls don't do anything heroic. Nothing we see on screen. No. Right. We, it, it could be that there's this modern interpretation or modern use of the word hero to mean people protagonist who, or survivor we could, be, we could be protagonists just for one day yeah. or at least seven minutes well not even protagonists yeah. i mean <laughs> the, we, sometimes we use hero to refer to uh, you know the, oh. the survivors of of terrible things uh the the people left behind by those who have right. given their lives and the, their heroes for have for picking up and carrying on but we don't actually have any of that in this i mean we don't see yeah. you know the, that the fact develop. is it, most of this story is a typical Day at One girl bullies the other and the other girl retaliates yeah. back and forth. Right. So, so let's quick description of that. The two yeah. girls, one's human, one is not. They're classmates. They both have parents who work at Utopia Planitia shipyards on Mars. The human oh, girls. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. Because yeah. Utopia Planitia is a real place on Mars. It's in the northern hemisphere of Mars. And nevertheless, they when they talk about Utopia Planitia shipyards, they only show us this orbital shipyard. Well, they've done mm-hmm. that How, from the beginning. From, I, I know they've yeah. done it before, but here's my criticism. 
why is that the you know, Utopia Planitia shipyards when Utopia Planitia is on the surface of well, Mars and this can't be an aerostationary thing that's always in orbit above Utopia Planitia because it's not on the equator. I tell you, I'll tell you why, uh, because they've established this in, in secondary media because mm. the it a, the shipyard is in two parts the the, the ground based where they do, where they put things together and then the uh, the uh, space based where the they the they put them station. together right yeah. so there is a ground based station that is the headquarters for whatever is going on in orbit and so that's mm. where people beam up from and transport up materials and so they name it after the place on earth on the ground yeah there is in another i forget maybe in the uh, the the uh, J.J. Uh, uh, Abrams' Enterprise novelization, they refer to the Boston shipyards, uh, orbital mm-hmm. shipyards. You know that. That's well, they, they've they've talked before too about like the San Francisco shipyards, and they're right. actually in San Francisco. But yeah, that's where Kirk beams up from in the the motion picture, and that's where the Enterprise takes off from uh, there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I mean, I get what you're saying, Jimmy, but yeah, it's it it's a uh, it's a it's Minor something point. they've established. Yeah, in in it. Yeah. But in, in any case, the girl, the human girl, resents her dad. For being so, away, bad dad trope right there. Yep. Right, but the alien girl seems to be okay with her mom being away because mom good and bad dad. That's the tr- that's no. that's the law, right? Right, especially when it comes to you know the daughters apparently, and no other parent, no mom, no dad for the each of these kids. There, I mean, we we don't see the other parent. Now maybe that's there is right. another parent that we don't see, but. They're, they both, from what we're told on screen, which we have to assume is the dominant characteristic of their life, because neither one of them mentions a second parent, is these are both children of single absentee parents. Right. That's the idea that we're being given anyway. Uh, so the the kids are heading for the school shuttle. I, just, I had a problem with this, with the, the like, it, it, this is a Enterprise Starfleet shuttle craft. This is a yep. one interplanetary shuttle. Why would you need? This, this is you know a, using a, a Blackhawk helicopter to fly kids to school. Essentially, I I believe that it's meant this school is meant to be like a special mil- school for Federation children of Federation officers. So it's like a right. school you'd have on a military base for the staff of the base. Yeah. Except then yeah. it should be on Mars. Just have well, it as be, a school to be bus. Fair, though, yeah. Um, most schools that are on military bases use good old fashioned yellow school buses. So <laughs> right. um, I did like the fact, though, that that shuttle was painted in school bus yellow. Yes, that's true. That's true. And a very interesting use of the uh, the shield, the force field to prevent kids from running into, up to the bus as it's taking off. Uh, but that's what happens. The human girl. You know, to bumps, be fair, we, we yeah. don't really know what civilian transport would be like then, you know, your general typical civilian transport. Because if you want to be real nitpicky, this is TNG and beyond era, but it's the same type of shuttle that you see on Discovery. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Yeah. That's, so you're talking I mean, about a hundred year difference there where it's like, this is the old technology shuttle that they now use for school buses instead of outfitting <laughs> starships. That's right. Yeah. If I want to go to school in a, in a yeah, World War II era uh, tank, in an M48. sure i would love that they they get to school and they have these video displays all over the place one of them is playing cnn another is a rotating carousel that says happy first contact day so this is the anniversary of the date that uh the um james cameron and not james cameron um whatever the uh cochran zephyr cochran zephyr cochran played by the the, the fellow and uh yes so it's the anniversary of that date 
the the whole thing starts with a, an accidental bump between the girls go, heading to the school the school bus. That's and then there's yeah. this misunderstanding. So yeah, they get to school. It's a, I think the school looks interesting. It's an interesting look at mm-hmm. what a the unimagined 25th century school would look like and its technology mm-hmm. and teaching style. It's in a very brief it, view. It kind of draws in a way on some of the like homeschool tech that we saw on Vulcan in season two of discovery where Spock mm-hmm. was like using his yep. video screen and stuff. Um, but basically what's going on here is the two girls are being alternately. I mean, there's a there, they have a rivalry. It's clear. Mm-hmm. And they're they keep one upping each other, although there's a moment where it looks like Lil, the human girl, is trying to bond with Kima, the other girl. Right. Um, but then it ends up getting the other girl in trouble. So maybe that was a setup. Right. And right. it ends up with the two of them coming to blows in front of a group of lockers. You get this and idea that they're acting out their uh, their anger over their absentee their parents. parents. Yeah. 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 Which is another maybe aspect of children of Mars, children of war, is their aggressiveness in their mm-hmm. behavior. And and then the plot point occurs, which is uh, something comes on the uh, well. They the they something the happens on Mars. There's an attack. The yep. carousel with the rotating graphic says this is an emergency alert. And CNN is on, and they're playing a video about rogue synths attack right. Mars. 3,000 estimated dead. And the synths is the most interesting part of this. These apparently are synthetic beings. It harks back to uh, Picard's line from um, Measure of a Man that eventually someone is going to start trying to make more data and will succeed. This is the question that all the fans have kind of been talking about this past weekend over, you know, since this got released, which is this this upends everything we've been thinking about what Picard is about. We all, because we, mm-hmm. most people I think had been on the idea that Picard is about Starfleet um, somehow co-opting the Borg technology or, or mm. getting a hold of a, a bunch of Borg and deprogramming them somehow. Uh, but maybe it's not, maybe some people think maybe this is about somebody creating a bunch of datas. That get yeah, out of control, which, which we've seen in some of the previews. Mm-hmm. These guys that look like another, not data exactly, but another right. kind of Sung type android, and um, and so I, I, I'm expecting Borg and Romulans and Sung type androids to factor bigly in this. Yeah. So the only only other only other thought I had where synth could also be is. Of course, you know, you go back to Voyager and we have, you know, photons be free and the whole thing with holograms could synths mm-hmm. also be holographic beings. Yeah, yeah maybe possible. You know, I mean, yeah. another another possibility and that that what we saw those would, would you thought might be androids could actually be holograms instead. Right. Because right? using the portable holo, t- holo uh, generator technology that the doctor had on Voyager. Uh, that's yeah. possible. And then we and, get a headline that says uh, Admiral Picard reacts to Mars attack. Right. And we see him on up on CNN and that's it. And then the girls grab each other by the hand. So we have some kind of reconciliation between them. And once again, Gilgamesh and Enkidu at Uruk. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The attack brings them together in their fear and anger. Yeah. In grief. Uh, Because the assumption is, is, uh, you know, are there parents among the 3000 dead? The interesting thing about this, the the headline, you know, some people have mentioned well, if it says he's Admiral Picard, what we know of the t- the TV show 
is that Picard has been retired from Starfleet. So therefore, this must be take place when he was still an admiral. Before. But of course, right. we know from at least from contemporary what our, our present day, once you're an admiral, you're always an admiral or a general. You're always referred you re- to by your yeah, title. You retain the title as an honorific even when you're retired. Yep. However, he is in uniform. Right. On when he's up on the on the screen, and in some of the trailers for the Picard series, we have him flashing back to this dramatic attack on Mars. Yeah. So right. I'm guessing that this is set at the time he left Starfleet. Right. Which kind of an interesting point, you know. Right now they they've already really, they've released two of the three issues of the Picard Countdown comic. Yep. Which, which is, is also a prequel set at that time. Yeah. And um. One thing we see in that is that Jordy LaForge is in charge of Utopia Punisha at the time of the comic. He's helping to supervise the building of the Romulan. The um, evacuation fleet. Evacuation fleet. Yeah. So, I mean, this my speculation is that maybe the two are connected there, too. Like that this is similar time frame Mm -hmm. that as Utopia Punisha, again, speculation on my part, third issue hasn't come out yet. But the comic strip, comic book is supposed to be leading to the decision that Picard made to leave Starfleet. Yeah. Right. That's kind of how they put it. So I'm wondering if like these are concurrent time frames and like the third episode is going to show the attack. And maybe uh, something bad to... happened in the Jordy, which is I, yeah. I think is and possible. That's, that's, you know, in speculation there. Was he killed? Was he hurt? You know, whatever. Because we, we haven't heard anything of Jordy LaForge returning for the Picard series. Right. Yeah. I don't I doubt he was killed. Okay. It would be, yeah, but he say bad. He may have well been there during the attack. It would be but tragic, I, it, given his relationship with Data as a friend, to have yeah. features like Data, uh, you know, to, to kill him. It's but interesting. It's, just, it's kind of interesting. I yeah. think that there that these these two separate media could actually be like interconnected, I, telling planned. the same story from different views. One yeah. other thing that someone pointed out was the remember when Lore Data's brother. Uh, was running the rogue Borg. Uh, mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. what was it? Uh, what was that called? Um, Descent. Descent. The two-parter Descent. And uh, after that, Hugh, the the Borg yeah. who was freed, was given control of those uh freed Borg at that point. And we given we have heard that Hugh isn't quite the right word, but he leadership. effectively became their leader. Right, I'm yeah. sorry. Yes, leadership. And and we and we know Hugh is back in the Picard series. It, exactly. Right. So. And then we've got this girl. We don't know who she is, but she seems to be powerful. That Picard feels this d- this need to help and take care of. And so there's lots of speculation. Right. Who is she? Is she Picard's daughter? Is she a a Borg for, that's been freed? Because we know Seven of Nine is in the new series. Or maybe, as I'm thinking, is maybe she's one of these synths, a more advanced maybe. version of them. So we'll have a lot of these questions answered really <laughs> soon because... Yeah. Um, this Picard series is debuting. Right. How did we feel about this short trek taken in and of itself, regardless of what it sets us up for? How did we think, what did we think about it as uh, right. self-contained entity? <laughs> Until we got that, that last bit, the attack on Mars, I was kind of like, what's this, what's the point of this? What, what, what why yeah. are we seeing this? Yeah. Um, I'm I still was, left I mean, wondering. I wrote down, I mean, I wrote down seemingly typical bully story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After school special. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I was like meh. Yeah, and, and like, especially like with the joyless, inappropriate heroes. I mean, I like yeah. that song, and this is it's inappropriate and it's joyless here. Yeah, yeah. I, I did like the uh, the principal being a Vulcan. 
because <laughs> they had that one scene there where it's behind him and he's just in shadow with the ears. But. Yes, he's very the very stern headmaster, of course. Yeah, like a, apart from that, and I actually I'm still kind of left wondering what is the connection of this story to to whatever. Like, why why is this? Like, what is the connection of this to anything besides itself? There is no. It doesn't connect well, to any of the characters besides that one brief reference, which is they are somehow connected to the attack on Mars that is at the center of whatever Picard series is. We we could maybe meet these characters as adults in the Picard series, but mm-hmm. and yeah. so this is like their secret origin story, but it's not that interesting of a secret origin story. I think they could have yeah. done so much more with this and done it with dialogue. Instead of, you know, having this whole thing be silent under the joyless music. Right. Right. And I I wonder, honestly, if other than the actual attack on Mars, if there is going to be any connection. Yeah, there may not. I honestly, I could see them just that they literally just they wanted to use it as the platform to show the attack on Mars. But they had to put this whole story to build up to that point. Right. Without showing the like making a story about the attack on Mars. Like they could have said this in the planet and the shipyard with, and then have things happen around them. This is and actually, you know, kind of telling basically a nine 11 story. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm, I'm not at Nine 11 is a normal day. Everything was going fine. All of a sudden smack. Yeah. Uh, not, yeah. Uh, the, I would have to say, looking back at all of the short tricks from the season, the best is definitely the trouble with Edward. Um, the, mm-hmm. the, um, the, the, the animated one, the, the Lilo and Stitch one, well, I forget what it's called. The, the, yeah. the, the two, that one was really Dalton good. Ibram. Um, yeah. this one, I, I don't, it's not objectionable, but it just kind of falls flat for me. Yeah. I liked Q and A. I liked Q and A. Um, yeah. the one where Picard is, is gaslighting the, the lady to determine if she can be a junior engineering Pike. intern Pike. is Captain Pike. Yeah. Pike. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Is that one's. I mean, I like seeing Pike, but that one's just kind of has logic problems. Yeah. Right. Um, Q&A was, was fun. And yep. the Lilo and Stitch one was fun. Um, the did girls, not like the girl who made the stars. Yeah. Uh, Ephraim did and not Dot. like this yeah. one. Yeah. 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 I, I'm kind of, the, kind of the same way. Ed, I liked Edward. I liked Q&A. Edward I liked, was fun. Yeah. I liked the, the Dot and Ephraim. Um, was kind of, like I said, man on the one about uh, Pike. It was... And uh, the other, the girls with the stars, and then this one was, yeah. Eh. I was happy I got, to, we got Pike, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I enjoyed seeing Pike on, on screen. Number one in Pike, both. Yes. Um, w- one bit of news, speaking of Picard, is that uh, the, it's been picked up for a second season before they've even aired the first episode, which seems to be derogatory for streaming series nowadays. Well, I, they, I think they also announced uh, Discovery got season four. Already, okay, well. I think uh, I just saw that yesterday. So I, I'm, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I think yeah. they did announce that season four Discovery has been picked up as well. It, it would be nice if they told us when season three was coming, but <laughs> that's just for me. After Picard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this year. Yeah. Some, some point this year. Um, all right. Well, that's actually, that's good news. We hope you've enjoyed this special episode of The Secrets of Star Trek. What did you think of this season of Short Treks? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the very first episode of the brand new Star Trek series, Picard. Don't miss this, folks. This is going to be a lot of fun. Until then, 
Thank you to Father Corey Stika and Jimmy Aiken for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, make it so.